copy of God's Word this morning, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter, as we begin a brand new sermon series for this summer called Blessed, a study of the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, and it was Doriani who said, among Jesus' teaching, the Sermon on the Mount is perhaps the most beloved, the best known, the least understood, and the hardest to obey. Think about that. It's the most beloved, best known, least understood, and hardest to obey. And we're looking specifically at the first part of the Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes. Now, if you were brought up in church, uh, you're no doubt familiar with the Beatitudes. If you're new to church, you might say, what is this all about? Well, hopefully uh, you'll have an answer to that question before you leave today. Uh, But you are familiar, maybe, with these beautiful statements from the mouth of our Savior. And to begin our series this morning, I'd like for us to read together... Uh, the Beatitudes. And so we're going to be reading Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 12. And I know there's different translations among us, so to put us all on the same page, I have on the screen before you Matthew 5, 1 through 12, in the New King James Version. I want us to read these out loud together. Would you read with me this morning, please? The Bible says in Matthew 5, 1 through 12, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your blessings. Thank you for these beatitudes. Help us, Father, as we begin this study today, to understand and to grow in our knowledge of truth. And Lord, help us to put these into practice in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, to be quite honest at first glance, and by the way, thank you so much. That was wonderful. You guys read beautifully together. At first glance, these seem to be very strange statements. Blessed are you when you're poor, when you're mourning, when you're hungry, when you're persecuted. What exactly do these statements mean? How can we be blessed in such a state? And uh, we hope to answer that question and many more questions in this series together. In fact, we're going to focus on the specific Beatitudes in the coming weeks. Uh, But this morning, what I want to do is to have a time of introduction. What we're going to do is we're going to set the stage. We're going to clear the lot, if you will. We're going to move out the rocks and the debris and the rubble. We're going to smooth out the land and we're going to lay a foundation which we can build upon in the coming weeks. Or to change the analogy, we're going to cover some basic things when it comes to the Beatitudes. In fact, we're calling today's message Beatitudes 101. 
Now, if you remember back in school, and some are still in school, when you got in the one-on-one class, it's going to be some basic things, some introductory things. So we're going to answer some basic questions today. We're going to give some basic guidelines and convince you, hopefully, that this passage is worth your time and your effort to study with us during this summer. Now, in a real sense, I'm going to be more of a teacher than a preacher this morning. I'm going to be teaching about a sermon rather than just giving a sermon, okay? Uh, I used to tell, I used to teach uh, the adult Sunday school class at Oak Ridge Baptist when I was working for BBN over in Tennessee, and I used to tell them time to time, uh, I think there's a fine line between teaching and preaching, and I crossed it every time. But anyway, I'm going to do my best to teach and help you today to get some basic things done. So we're going to ask some questions and give you some answers, okay? You might want to jot some notes down. I might want to take this down because we're laying a foundation that you need as we come into the coming weeks and we look at the Beatitudes one by one. First of all, here's a good question. Why are they called the Beatitudes? Why are they called the Beatitudes? Well, I'm so glad you asked that question. Uh, We don't find that word in the text, at least not in the inspired part. At the heading in your Bible, it might say the Beatitudes at the chapter heading. But where did this whole word Beatitudes even come from? Why are they called the Beatitudes? Well, believe it or not, Beatitudes simply means blessing. And it comes from the Latin word for blessed. And so the reason we call them the Beatitudes is from the Latin word that means blessed. And of course, what do the Beatitudes start with? Blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. So it makes sense. So they're called the Beatitudes. That's why they're called the Beatitudes. Well, then the question is, what are the Beatitudes? Well, we know that there are these blessed statements that we just read together, the Lord Jesus made, and we find them here in Matthew chapter 5, but the Beatitudes do not stand alone. Uh, in fact, they're the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Remember, I told you we are teaching today about a sermon rather than just giving a sermon. We're talking about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount takes up Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. I love how Ray Pritchard put it. He said, if the Sermon on the Mount is the constitution of the Christian faith, the Beatitudes are the preamble. You remember having to memorize the preamble to the Constitution when you are in school? Well, think about it in that regard. Here we have the Constitution of the Christian faith, the Sermon on the Mount, and the Beatitudes are the, pre, the preamble. He says these eight statements of Christ offer the best definition of a disciple in the New Testament. So we know why they're called the Beatitudes. We know what are the Beatitudes. Now, here's an important question. Who are the Beatitudes for? Who are the Beatitudes for? Are, they, are these for everyone? Are they just for believers? Are they just for the people that were hearing Jesus speak them way back long ago? Now, think with me for a moment about where we are in the Gospel of Matthew. Could you do that with me? Uh, we're in the early um, uh, ministry of Christ. In Matthew chapter 1, we have the gene- genealogy and birth of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 2, we have the visit of the wise men. We have the flight into Egypt. We have the return to Nazareth. In Matthew chapter 3, you have John the Baptist. And you have the baptism of the Lord Jesus. And then we turn to, come to Matthew chapter 4, the chapter right in front of the one we're studying today. And you have the temptation of Jesus by the devil. Um, you have the beginning of his ministry, uh, his preaching, repent for the kingdom is at hand. And you have the beginning of the calling of the disciples. In fact, look at chapter 4, if you would, and pick up the reading there at verse 23. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. 
It says, And Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, um, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Verse 25 of chapter 4 says, Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis and Jerusalem, Judea and beyond the Jordan. So you see this large group of people following the Lord Jesus. Jesus is teaching. He's preaching. He's healing. The multitudes are following him. And then notice the first word we read today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitudes, and seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain... And when he had seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. So he sees this multitude of people. He goes up on a mountain. He sits down. His disciples come to him. And so the question is, who are these disciples? Are these just the especially called disciples? James and John, so forth. Um, it appears, of course, that his disciples were there, those specially called ones. But there were certainly other people there as well. Others of the multitude. In fact, when you get to the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, I want you to listen to what it says in Matthew 7, 28, 29. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings that the people, your translation may have crowds, because that's the idea. The crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And so we believe that there were probably many who heard these sayings of the Lord Jesus at that time. Besides His immediate disciples, there were others there. But it's obvious that these teachings are for those who are the true disciples, the true followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, that would include those of us who follow Christ here today. Now, of course, those who heard them way back who were not followers, the hope would be they would hear these teachings and they would realize their need and trust Christ. And by the way, that's my prayer as well as we study these things. That as we preach and go through the, the Beatitudes, anyone here is not a follower of Christ would realize their need and come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So who are these for? They're for followers, believers, true disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. That brings us to another question. You still with me? Still awake? What is the point of the Beatitudes. What is the point of the Beatitudes? As I said earlier, they seem strange, don't they? Blessed are the poor and those who mourn and, and so forth, the persecuted. What's the point of the Beatitudes? Are these requirements for salvation? Are these requirements to enter the kingdom of heaven? Are these simply a description of those who will be living during the millennial kingdom? In the days to come. Are these totally future oriented? Do these have anything to do with the here and the now? What's the point of the Beatitudes? I laughed when I read what Sinclair Ferguson wrote. He says all kinds of approaches to the sermon can be found in the church. Listen, perhaps the most common one is to see it as a message calculated to produce the greatest possible guilt in the fewest possible chapters. <laughs> now, now, is that the point? We read the Sermon on the Mount, we read the Beatitudes, we feel bad, we feel guilty, and that's the point. Well, certainly not, beloved. It's not the idea of producing feelings of guilt. Why? Because it says, blessed are these people. Blessed are you. And if you notice, this is not about guilt, it's about blessings. 
But then what does that word mean? What does it mean to be blessed? Your translation might actually have a different word. Your translation might have a word that says like this. Happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are you. And so is it the idea of happiness like we understand it? Is it a different kind of happiness? What does it mean to be blessed? Listen to what one preacher wrote. Remember, I'm teaching you today, so I'm I'm giving you a little bit more uh, from other people as well to help us all get on the same page. Although some translators use the word happy, that doesn't do justice to the Greek word that's here. The word itself doesn't even apply to human emotions. Listen, it's a statement of how God views people who live in a certain way. The root idea of blessed is approved of God. When it says blessed there, that's the idea of being approved of God. Max Lucado, if you ever read his works, he's a well-known author, written lots of books, sold millions of copies, Christian author. He wrote a book on the Beatitudes called The Applause of Heaven, and it captures the idea. He said God applauds the poor in spirit. He cheers the mourners. He favors the meek. He smiles upon the hungry. He honors the merciful. He welcomes the pure in heart. He claps for the peacemakers. He rises to greet the persecuted. Now, please hear me right now. If you hear nothing else today, catch what I'm about to say. If you want to nap later, that's fine. Please hear this. The Beatitudes are not a list that's given to make us try harder. They're not requirements for salvation. They're not traits that we enter into in our own strength. Instead, they're a picture of what a true disciple looks like. They describe someone who's a kingdom, a citizen of the kingdom of God and how blessed they are. It's not a list of how to be saved. We know we're saved how? By grace through faith. It's not a requirement to enter the kingdom. It's not a list to make us try harder or feel guilty or say, woe is me. Instead, it's a description of what a true disciple, a kingdom citizen looks like and how blessed we are. I'm going to give you a long quote. I'll put it on the screen. Those who have poor vision, you'll say, I couldn't see that. Well, maybe you need some glasses. But anyway, uh, I'll read it for you just so you catch it. This is from R.W. Glenn. Every approach to the Beatitudes that turns them into commandments to keep, mandates to fulfill, or imperatives to obey, turns them into something contrary to what Jesus intended. Listen, the Beatitudes declare what a child of the kingdom looks like. They do not list do's and don'ts to get you in the kingdom. Please understand that. If you get nothing else today, don't leave here thinking, well, I'm not going to make it. I can't do that. That's true. But the point about it, beloved, is not why the list is given. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not a list for you to work harder at. Instead, it's something else. Because if you're like me, you read these, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are the hungry and thirsty for righteousness, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the pure uh, peacemakers, blessed are the persecuted. And you pause and say, wait a minute, I'm a child of God, but my life doesn't look like this, at least not all the time. There, there's times that it looks like this, but not every moment of every day. And if this describes what a true disciple looks like, if this describes what a citizen of the kingdom is and how blessed they are, what about me? I don't feel that that's describing me. 
But beloved, it's a reminder, if that's the case with you, that we cannot fulfill these things on our own. We must allow, listen, the Holy Spirit to work these things out in our lives. You remember the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians? You know that list is not something you wake up and say, I'm going to do really work hard on the fruit of the Spirit today. No, that's the Holy Spirit working in you to bring those things about into your life. And the same way uh, the Beatitudes work. We don't wake up uh, tomorrow morning saying, well, today I'm going to do my best to be more uh, poor in spirit. Or I'm going to wake up tomorrow and say, well, I'm going to do my best to, to mourn a lot more today. No, it's not a list of do's and don'ts and, and you work hard at this. No, what we do is we draw near to the one who spoke these in the first place. We draw near to the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God who indwells us, works in our lives to show us as we're seeing Christ that we are indeed poor in spirit. As we draw near to Christ, we realize the Spirit works in our life to show us that we need to mourn over our sin. As we draw near to the One who spoke these things, the Holy Spirit works continually to bring about these things in our lives. You see, the One who gave these is not only the One who spoke them, but the Lord Jesus is also the perfect example of the Beatitudes. And so it's not our salvation that's at issue here. We have Christ's righteousness. We're saved by grace through faith, not of works lest any man should boast. We're saved by grace through faith. But listen, saving faith produces fruit in our lives. And the Holy Spirit who indwells us is working to make us more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ, to bring about the fruit of the Spirit in our life, to bring about the Beatitudes in our life. And I haven't fully thought through all that, but it's amazing. You can kind of compare some of these things. You think about the fruit of the Spirit, the Beatitudes, and see what the Spirit is doing. Because I'll be honest with you, I'm still growing and still digging into these wonderful truths we have before us. So the Holy Spirit is at work to make us like this picture. Which brings us to another question. And I think it's one you might have, and I think it's a valid question. Why should you study the Beatitudes? Why should you study the Beatitudes? I mean, we just read them. They're, it's not a long passage. I mean, we read them. We just talked about them. Why spend the summer looking at these verses? Why give a whole Sunday to looking next time at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3? Why spend another Sunday looking at Matthew chapter 5 verse 4? Why spend so much time studying the Beatitudes? Well, if it's not obvious already, I hope to convince you by a couple of different statements here. Number one, I would say the reason we ought to study the Beatitudes is because these are the words of Jesus recorded in the Word of God. These are the words of Jesus recorded in the words of God. Now, you know that not everything that Jesus said was written in the Bible. Now, it was all important. God in the flesh speaking. But these words were written down in the Word of God. These words were the beginning of the most famous sermon ever. And it's very significant. If you read very fast through those opening verses, you miss some things. In fact, let's go back. It says in verse 1, And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, you say, well, so he sat down to teach. Well, that's significant. In fact, scholars tell us that a rabbi commonly sat down to teach. 
If he spoke while standing or walking, what he said was considered informal or unofficial. But when he sat down to teach, what he said was authoritative and official. Even today in our universities, we talk about what? We talk about professors holding a chair in the university. It's not talking about a piece of furniture, is it? It's talking about an honored position from which they teach. They hold the chair of whatever it is. And so when it says that Jesus sat down, that was a common thing there and has the idea this is important. This is authoritative. This is official. What I'm about to say is very important. This is not casual. Then it says what? In verse 2, then He opened His mouth and taught them. And you read that and you say, well, duh. Sure He opened His mouth and taught them. But listen, that seems like common sense, but there's so much more. In fact, one scholar noted that it was a common colloquialism used to introduce a message that was especially solemn and important. He opened His mouth and taught them. You know, Jesus taught all the time as He lived His life, as He walked, as He taught, as He healed, as He did all these things. But here, He opened His mouth and He spoke these words. And so I think we ought to give time to these statements of the Lord Jesus because they were so important, He sat down to teach them, He opened His mouth to teach them, and God the Holy Spirit made sure they were written down, recorded, and handed to us. And praise be to God, they've given to us in our own language. Not everybody is so blessed, but we have them before us. So I think we should study because they're the words of Jesus recorded in the Word of God. But there's another reason that we should study them. As Jerry Bridges noticed, uh, all Christians are meant to display these things. All Christians are meant to display these. And, and it's not based upon your personality or your temperament or even your spiritual giftedness. These are the traits, these are a description of a disciple, a follower, a kingdom citizen. And so these statements should describe our lives. Now we want to be blessed, right? We want to be truly blessed. Well, here's the path of blessing. And by the way, it looks a whole lot different than the world's path. And it even looks a whole lot different than the wealth and health and prosperity preachers of today. We're supposed to be poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaking, persecuted. These are supposed to describe us, these traits. And so I think we ought to study them. But that brings me to the last reason I want to submit to you why we ought to study them. And that is they drive us to Jesus. They drive us to Jesus. We look at this list and we know we can't live up to it. And that's another reason, why, by the way, that they're be attitudes and not do attitudes. Remember, they're not a list of do's and don'ts. But we know that in our own strength, we can't do this. That we, this is not something we can do. Yet these are supposed to describe us, so they drive us to Jesus. We draw close to Jesus. You say, well, preacher, how does this work? Well, since I'm teaching today instead of preaching, can I share with you a passage that I think describes it from Glenn again in his book? He says, do not seek poverty of spirit. Seek Jesus. 
As you see what it costs the Heavenly Father to save you, you'll see yourself bankrupt beyond words. Seek Jesus and you'll mourn not because of what your sins cost you, but because of what it cost your Heavenly Father. Seek Jesus and meekness will overflow in your life. Who can take a posture of superiority at the foot of the cross? Seek Jesus and you'll find all the righteousness you will ever need. His perfect record given to you freely as a gift. Seek Jesus and you'll be merciful. For the most needy recipient of a handout is the person you see in the mirror every day. Seek Jesus and you'll find your heart more and more singular in its devotion to God and more willing to be honest with other people. Seek Jesus and you'll continually sheathe your sword and seek reconciliation with others because you know that utter serenity achieved between you and God is by the blood of the Lord Jesus. See how it's working out? Seek Jesus, you'll gladly bear reproach for His name. Do not seek the Beatitudes. Do not turn them into moralistic teaching. Seek Jesus Christ who alone embodies the Beatitudes and the Beatitudes will then be true of you as well. When we draw near to Jesus, the One who gave us the Beatitudes, the One who's the perfect example of the Beatitudes, the Holy Spirit of God begins to work in our life and show us, yes, child, you are poor in spirit. Yes, child, you ought to mourn over your sin. Yes, child, you ought to be meek at the foot of the cross when you realize how glorious God is and what it cost Him to purchase your pardon on Calvary. Do you see? It's not about us trying harder or or putting forth effort. It's about drawing close to Jesus. As we see Jesus high and lifted up, as we see Jesus and what He did for us, the Holy Spirit begins to work in our life and bring about the Beatitudes and change us and mold us and shape us into the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see it? Do you understand that? So don't leave her saying, man, I've got to work harder. I've got to mourn more. And I've got to be more poor in spirit. And I've got to go find somebody to persecute me this afternoon. <laughs> Listen, you live for the Lord Jesus. You don't have to go looking for that. Alright? Now here's what I want to do. I want to give you the plan for the future. We're going to study, as I said, this summer. And I want you to get one of these schedules if you don't have one because I've listed out there where they are. This will take us through the summer and we'll actually finish up a little bit beyond probably around Labor Day weekend. But I want to encourage you to know where we're going. And I want to encourage you before you come to take the beatitude we're going to be studying next week, June 4th, it's Matthew 5, 3. And I want you to read that before you get here. In fact, I would encourage you to meditate on it. Write it on a card. Write it on a piece of paper. Put it on a post-it note. Put it somewhere you can think about it. And I want you to be meditating and pondering on this thought. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to really focus on that. And then when you come, we're going to seek together to unpack that beatitude. And we'll go through them one by one. Also, as you leave today, my wife has designed and printed up some beautiful bookmarks. We're going to give one to you as you leave today. You can put in your Bible at Matthew 5, okay, or wherever you want to put it. And we'll give you one as you leave in the back today. And Because uh, you're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. And, so, and I want you to invite other people with you. You know what we're focusing on this summer. You can invite your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers. Say, Listen, we are studying the Beatitudes at church. Do you know anything about the Beatitudes? 
Because we said what? If a lost person comes and he hears this, our prayers they'll see their need of Christ and they'll repent of their sin and place their faith in Christ. That they too can be a child of God with the Holy Spirit indwelling them who will begin to go at work in their life to mold and shape them like this picture. Alright? That's the plan. That's where we're going. Because we truly want to be blessed. Approved of God. And here's the pathway as we allow God to work in our lives. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, teach us as we embark on this study of the words of our precious Lord Jesus. Help us to understand these Beatitudes, these most important statements the Lord Jesus spoke. Help us, Father, to see Christ as not only the teacher of them, but the perfect example as well. Help us, Father, to cooperate with your Holy Spirit as he works to make these truths a reality in our lives. May we understand what true blessedness really is. Father, I pray in this series, both in today's message and in the messages to come, that we'll be forever changed as we contemplate and meditate and study these glorious words. And we thank you in advance for what you're going to do in our lives. And Father, I pray if anybody here today has listened to this and they thought to themselves, well, these don't apply to me because I'm not a child of God. I pray your Holy Spirit to convict their heart, show them their need, and bring them to repentance and saving faith in Christ right now. Father, would you be honored and glorified in this invitation? And we pray this in the most holy and wonderful name of Jesus. And for his sake, amen. Our closing hymn this morning, 185, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. And Fred, if you're here and you don't know Christ, I would invite you today. I'll be down at the front as we're singing. You say, Preacher, what would happen if I walked down the aisle? We'd welcome you. If you need to be saved, we'd sit down with the Bible and share Christ with you and lead you to the cross. And we would love to help you do that. And then, child of God, if God's spoken to your heart, if some burden on your heart as well, the altar is open. We would invite you to come. But I hope you'll take the challenge as we embark on this study to be in the Word, to meditate, to contemplate, and allow God to speak to your heart in this series. 185, let's stand together and sing this great hymn, Jesus, What a Friend for Sinners. 185, let's stand and sing. Thank you.